John Paul Sartre famously said, hell is other people. But perhaps the most difficult relationship that many of us can have is with ourselves. Indeed, it was Blaise Pascal who said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. But thanks to the COVID pandemic, much of the world has been forced to spend the last 12 months sitting quietly in a room alone. So how do we deal with spending so much time with ourselves, with that inner critic who likes to pipe up from time to time and undermine us when it's given half an opportunity? Well, we can turn to the words of poets and authors, people like Tanya Markle, whose book The She-Book and The She-Book Volume 2 deal with this relationship that we have with ourselves and the permission to let go of all of those inner obstacles that we put in our way, which kind of stop us really fulfilling our destiny and our purpose. Tanya very graciously gave up some time to talk to me about some of the themes in her writing and about how when we turn to face the things that we're most scared of, it can actually make us stronger and more empowered to live our own lives. Tanya, thank you so much for um, joining me on the podcast today. Um, I wanted to speak to you because you are the author of the hugely successful The She Book and The She Book Volume 2. And I know, or at least I guess I'm not really the, the target audience for, for either of these books, but I, I wanted to speak to you because I think there are some some almost universal truths in there that you touch on, which go to the kind of the core of the human spirit, if you like. Um, and I, yeah, I just wanted to kind of touch on where this has come from for you and why you think it's resonating for people so much. So, so maybe I, I could start by asking what, what inspired you to write the She Book? I don't know that it was necessarily like one thing that was the inspiration it was more of a feeling that I had it I have been writing for a long time but it was more for myself and I had been collecting these words and and really putting them without thinking about it in the form of a book and then it came to me one day, like, what am I doing? Why don't I just put this, um, this collection into, you know, a physical form? And, and then it just sort of happened. I think I took about three weeks and of gathering and then, you know, um, putting them in a specific order and, 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 and then it was done. I was going to say there are some very strong themes in there about, about kind of finding who you are, sort of shedding everything you are not and finding who you are and having the courage to kind of step into yourself, if you like. Um, was, there, was there a sense that this, this kind of, when you put these, these writings together, you were kind of drawing a line under one part of your life and, and starting another part? Yes, for sure. I definitely feel I definitely believe that for a long time, I mean, I've been writing for a long time, but like the core themes of my, of what I was writing about weren't necessarily like about me personally. It was more of like, I was writing in more general terms, um, more like you say, you know, general principle-ish. And 
I don't know. I, I was going through a lot of changes in my life and, and make, you know, starting to take more riskier decisions. And I started to see myself in a different way. And I also realized that in order to kind of make this change in my life, that I needed to let go of a lot of stories that I had been carrying around with me. And those included, you know, some trauma from my childhood and trauma that I was still carrying around from um, being a teenager and just these feelings that really no longer I felt fit the person that I was. So it absolutely felt like a purge. And, and like, I always kind of say that the first collection, the she book really was a time for me where I felt like I needed to get everything onto the paper so that these old stories had a place to live other than my body. Yeah. So I had more space to breathe and kind of move on, um, move on with my life. And I got, I guess you could also say it was like a point in my life, you know, some people call it from like maiden to motherhood and, um, it definitely was a step from some kind of, you know, older self to someone who felt at least like I had one more sliver, like millimeter of kind of understanding who I am as a person. Do you think um, there is a sense that um, uh, there's a, sometimes we have to we have to face our pain and you talk about this a lot in the book you sort of say and I've, I've got I've got so many quotes from the book I've almost copied out the whole book here because there's so many <laughs> things that are really resonated with me but you say things like healing visions hidden within her moonlit nightmares you know you talk about how we have to turn into turn into the fear and turn into the pain and I know that um uh, James Baldwin, uh, this is a quote I, I often reel out, but he always says that um, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Do you, th do you think there was a sense of kind of facing your own pain with this and facing your own kind of shadows, if you like? Yes, that was a really beautiful quote. Um, yes, absolutely. I, I think it's still a process and it is for me and you know really figuring out at this point what like we talk about all these things that you know what we need to face and what we need to let go and I feel also for me what a, a big thing is for a significant like personal part of my path right now is figuring out the things that I I need to learn to live with right so like not the things that can, that I can just you know, let go and set free, but the things that I know that are going to be with me for a lifetime. And one of those things, for example, is grief, right? The loss of, of someone you don't necessarily, it's not necessarily something that you get over in life. It's something that you learn to live with. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. I've, I've um, my own journey with kind of uh, emotional issues and depression and things like that, and therapy and that sort of thing has has made me realise that you don't cure these things necessarily, but you just kind of learn to to live with them and and to function with them 
rather than letting them kind of overwhelm you and, and take control of the conversation, if you like. Um, do, yes. you, do you think that that is a part of kind of becoming who we were, we were brought here to be in a way, you know, our, our true selves and not the selves that are kind of fashioned to suit the needs of society and expectations of others? Ooh, that's a big time, question. Well, yeah, I, I wonder, because um, there's some, some of what you were saying reminded me of, um, there's the, the Japanese art of, um, you know, when they, they have the broken pots and they fix it with gold so that the, the kind of the break and the, the scars become part of the story. And mm. in your writing, there's a sense of kind of, you know, letting go of everything we're not, uh, but also, you know, your vulnerabilities becoming your strengths in a way. And that this is this is who you truly are, and not these kind of falsehoods and the, these kind of masks that we wear in order to get by in society. Yes, I mean, it's. I feel like the like the I don't know. I feel like I'm changing the way that I look at vulnerability right now, um, especially after you know the world being in a year long year plus long pandemic and we are all vulnerable like right now in different ways and I think how we approach vulnerability now could inspire us to evolve in you know really positive and strong ways and I think that part of that vulnerability is understanding who we are individually and like deciding on how we want to spend the rest of our lives like how do we want to live our lives and I think the first like clue in figuring that out is being able to tell your story and being able to tell your story to the most important person in your life and like that person is you and I think that we often try to you know skip that step we think that we're telling ourselves our story this whole entire time when at least for me and like I think for a lot of us like you said we kind of get stuck in how we should be living our lives you know the pressure is there the status quo is there and then this whole like world of unknown um is there so i don't know i don't know if i answer <laughs> your question yeah, no. just it's great because there's, there's a real sense that you know sometimes you know pe people are weird people are we're strange entities and we spend our whole life trying yes. not, not to be weird you know we, we all dress the same and we you know men put on their suits and go to the office and we we have certain ways that we're expected to behave but but inside there's this kind of weird um shapeless formless spirit that wants to just get out and be weird and in, in, in a way we're all kind of looking for permission to to embrace our our unique selves and I, I and I think maybe this is why your your writing resonates so much because we're it's almost like you're giving permission to people it's like it's like saying you are weird and I'm weird and everybody's weird and it's okay to be weird and okay to get rid of all of this stuff these expectations face up to our stories and just really be ourselves you know and, and to shine as ourselves and I think that's what's so empowering yes. about your writing there's a there's a bit you, you say 
and this is what I mean about it being um, kind of universal truths that, that there's so much resonating with what you've written and, and some kind of, um, you know, ancient wisdom like Buddhism and, and Stoicism and things like this. And um, there's, there's one line where you say, I shed my old skin and I hold on, hold on and hold on. And it reminds me of um, Jack Cornfield, the, the Buddhist, uh, the, the American Buddhist teacher. He says, um, just as a, a snake sheds its skin, we must shed our past over and over again, you know, and, and we must evolve and allow ourselves to be and not hold on to all the things that have defined us so far. And it, it's, it's just re very powerful for me, I think, very, um, uh, very empowering as well. Yes, definitely. I mean, I think there was also, was it Leonard Cohen who said something about, you know, how could he move on with all of, all of yesterday, you know, still in him? And it is like that. It is a cycle. It's, it's many cycles. We are, we are many things and we're hard to understand. And we are, we all are, I mean, I feel like we all want to be safe and everybody deserves that. I mean, imagine living in a world where everybody feels safe. Like it would be, we would be on an entirely different <laughs> frequency, but we all want to be safe. But at the same time, we all want to express, you know, who we really are without judgment and like without shame and I think our past plays a huge a huge role in that as it brings you know reminders of what made us insecure or what took away our power and those things can sneak up on us at any time it isn't like they're not predictable always and they're not always you know just triggered by something else and and it is a constant, you know, facing those layers and understanding how, like, what decision can you make in that moment that feels the most empowering, what feels the most relieving, you know, what feels the most nourishing so that it isn't always about the shedding or like the burning or the suffering that there's actually space for reaching the other side, you know, being the person who also made it that isn't, isn't constantly in, you know, transformation mode. Because it's interesting, of all the conversations I've had, there's this idea that when we, when we turn away from our, our pain and our suffering and our trauma, and we, we sort of look for escapes from it, whether that's in, you know, habitual use of entertainment, like watching TV or, you know, alcohol, or I know you spent, um, you, you talk about having spent four years, um, you know, being a regular uh, user of, of intoxicating substances. Yes. Um, but when we, when we turn away and try to hide from the thing we're afraid of, that thing, somehow I feel like it gets bigger and it gets stronger and we get weaker. But when we, when we turn into it, even if it's just for a short period of time, it gets smaller and we get stronger and we get more courageous and braver and, and kind of become more accepting of our, ourselves and our own power, perhaps. Yes, yes. And I think I really feel like for me in like one of my habitual cycles of you know, negative of having like a negative thought process isn't just avoiding or like numbing out, but I will start to 
tell my tell myself stories to justify like not moving on you know like kind of self-sabotaging myself over and over in creative ways you know procrastination is super creative um and so how do you overcome that how do you how do you get over that and change that conversation and change that kind of narrative that you're you're creating to stop yourself doing the work if you like well you have to be open to listening to yourself you really have to be open to listening and and i have realized that that is a language that i'm that i am still trying to understand about myself because i think we all have like a secret language that we even use within within ourselves that we need to learn to listen to the you know the codes and like the slang and like just also the creative like way that we have of speaking to ourselves within ourselves um it's a whole nother universe but i think we we have to be open to um listening to the inner dialogue and being open to hearing the quality of that talk because sometimes that can also be very hard to realize you know it can be very hard to realize how shitty we're actually being to ourselves right or how mean or just how um, berating we can be to ourselves can be hard to listen to so we have to be willing and i think um, ready how sympathetic do you think we need to be to that to that voice <laughs> or do you think we need to be a little bit more uh, like its master in a way and kind of know when to slap it down and know when to nurture it and soothe it that's a good i mean maybe it's more personal i don't i don't know but i think for me it's not you know it's not sympathetic and it's not like pure aggression i think for me i just have to hear it objectively yeah and and really from there when I'm able to hear it without trying to fight with it like or to agree with that thought or disagree with it or to try to change it immediately I really just have to feel more objective about it and then make the decision to okay I'm, I'm not lingering you know yeah. I'm going to take the next or decide to take the next you know right or healthiest action for me you know it's more of a conscious practice it's it's interesting because what you've what you've talking about now you've kind of described yourself as a creative midwife and i've i've got a two-year-old two and a half year old daughter who's now um she's a toddler and (laughs) is she's finding her identity at the moment and there are times when i'm very very tired and she is refusing to do what i want her to do you know she won't eat her dinner or she won't get out of the bath or something like that and it's almost the same as that kind of relationship you have with your inner voice. There are times when you just want to scream and shout, just don't talk to me like that. But you have to understand, <laughs> you have to be a little bit gentler with it. You know, you have to understand that this is not, not, this is not a cruel person you're dealing with. This is a person who is probably just as confused as you are, but less, yeah. less able to express it. It's like dealing with a, dealing with a two-year-old, this, in, this internal conversation that you're having. It's very difficult yes it can be how much do you think um, motherhood um kind of forced this this kind of transformation if you like this this <laughs> facing of your 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 
challenges or your voices or your internal paradigms <laughs> oh wow like i mean i feel completely like a different person you know obviously and and not you know not with just one child but two two children two sons um i mean i have changed in so many ways and i feel you know because it is it's you know it i i am privileged to have this space to be able to like self examine my you know myself and to write poetry and and create you know a family that is you know pretty much safe but okay to answer your question <laughs> um it is like put me face to face with all of my inner my inner self limiting limiting beliefs it has put me face to face with everything that i hide from you know everything is my life is very full and also because of that because my natural instincts are you know they're on they're awake i want to care for my children i want to raise them i want to protect them and and to be safe like that overrides a lot of everything else you know that that natural instinct takes most of takes a lot of my energy and focus so what i have left i have to make the conscious decision to do it with the best you know quality that i can so I don't spend a lot of time even bullshitting with myself. You know, if this is going to be writing time or connecting time, whatever it is, I want to be present. And I feel like that in itself offers a, like a, a really strong projection of, you know, just healing and moving on and really letting go of like some of those old layers. Um, so in many ways, becoming a mother has, I feel propelled me into like another phase of like another rite of passage of living and healing and and creating for me like all together yeah. you know i write for a um a parenting magazine i just have a column sort of about my experiences as a as a first-time father and i um one of the things i realized is that you know i can't expect my child to be anything that I'm not so if I expect my child to have high standards for how they behave how they interact with life I have to have those high standards for myself as well and I think it, and it reminds me of there's a there's a quote by Elizabeth Gilbert who wrote um, eat pray love and she said um, I'm paraphrasing because I don't know it off by heart but she said something like um, there comes a, lot, a time in any transformation when we become tired of our own bullshit <laughs> and I think there's a when you when you suddenly find yourself faced with the, the immense responsibility of looking after a child, you kind of have to say to yourself, enough is enough now, no messing about anymore. I've got someone here who I need to nurture and, and look after and and take care of. And I can't make excuses anymore for for being weak or being, you know, hanging on to those those past traumas that have given me an excuse to kind of not be my best self, if you like. Um, yes yeah and I think it's I know you could probably hear downstairs my, my little girl and my her, her mother are downstairs <laughs> now having a, a giggle and a laugh but, um, <laughs> there's a problem with being in lockdown you, you have a, a an audience in the background a chorus if you like but, um, yes always and, uh, <laughs> oh, yes <laughs> do you think um do you think there's a sense of kind of 
liberation when you when you face when you turn to face all of these these things that have been hanging over you and have been kind of shaping you and that you've been carrying like a kind of heavy weight for your whole life when you turn to face them and say no more do you think it's it's almost like you're being freed from constraints to be yourself i i think that freedom could be you know part of the experience i think it could be like relief um you know i, I think the the reaction is going to be very personal but i think freedom can be a part of that and maybe yeah maybe that's your relief you know you, yeah. you do feel some freedom from it and some you know i think will feel empowered and there are many different states i don't know if the ultimate like goal for me a lot of the time is to feel like freedom from that stuff but just like I don't know, but this is where the writer in me I will like analyze the word too much. Like, what exactly do do I want to feel relief, empowered? Um, yeah, yes, you know where I'm going. <laughs> yeah, I, I think sometimes we have, when we've had hard times in our lives, whether that's, I mean, you've you've talked about um, having alcoholic uh, relatives and addiction in the family, living with poverty, things like this, having to steal clothes just to to kind of clothe yourself. These are these are very big things. And there's there's almost a sense that because they're so big, we owe them this kind of the honor of being unhappy with our lives late, you know, even years later. And because they're so big, if, if we were to be happy or to be free of them, it would be somehow um, being disrespectful to their memory in a way. Mm. Mm. Um, and actually, sometimes I think that these memories, they don't deserve our honor because they, they were terrible things. And mm. the best thing we can do is to kind of say, OK, I'm, I'm letting go now. Like, like you, you said, um, where is it? There's another one of your amazing quotes that I, I made a. Um, yeah, it's, it's just very simply, you said, but you've got to let go, do it now. Mm. You know, and there's this kind of a, it reminds me of Aldous Huxley. He said something, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like, you know, life doesn't need to be heavy. It's a bit like walking on quicksand. You know, if you walk with a light, a kind of light fleeting foot, it, you can kind of skip along and everything is wonderful. But when you, when you get heavy, you get sucked down into the quicksand. Mm -hmm. um, but you need to let go, you know, and find find the beauty in life almost. Mm. That's beautiful. I mean, that is like the definition of grace. Yeah, I, sometimes I think about sort of, um, you know, these little lizards that, that skip along the sand or whatever, and they just seem to be having a lovely time. Um, whereas kind of sometimes we make things so heavy for ourselves when when they needn't be. Do you think yes. that we have an attachment to our trauma that we struggle to let go of? I think we have an attachment or it's a familiarity. And also for some of us, that's truly like our childhood memory. You know, those were our memories. Yeah. And I think that that's because of that, because that that was, you know, a big part or a significant part for some people, you know, like a majority of their childhood, it can be hard to let go of because who really wants to let go of their childhood ultimately, you know, so you have to learn to live with it 
in a different way. You can choose to live with that story, I think, in, in a different way. So if, you know, letting go isn't completely the best thing for you, the most empowering thing for you, then you have to decide, okay, well, then I, I can live with it in a way that is different from a way that holds me back from truly living. Yeah. Because I, I suppose there can be a sense and, and, I mean, you, you said before, I'm sorry to keep quoting your, your own words back to you. but you said, you. I feel so honoured. <laughs> you, you said sometimes the scariest bridge to burn is the one between you and the person you thought you were. And, you know, is there, I mean, when you are, um, when you do, and again, quoting you, you said, let yourself be cleansed, blessed and reborn. You know, when you are, when you do turn to face things and you, you recreate yourself as someone who has kind of shed this, this skin and this this burden or or held on to the things that you you're not quite ready to let go of yet do you think that it's a kind of grieving process that you have to go through yes um and maybe um i think sometimes we know when it's just time to move on we know when the the cord just completely has to be cut and that's it and i think there are also times when things linger and the past has tendrils for a reason. And maybe that's to show a repetitive cycle that, you know, holds you back or because there's still something there for you to, you know, gain. There's still a lot of uh, wisdom for you to learn from. Yeah. Do you, do you think that that's what this is all about? It's about kind of learning from our experiences, whether they're positive or negative or whether they we feel burned by them or or kind of in, in, enlightened by them. Shit. I mean, I feel that is such a good question. I mean, I guess I just feel like I've been thinking a lot lately about death. And I've been thinking, you know, I think you really change as a human being when you have children and you think about your mortality and you think about, you know, what is truly the meaning of life. And then when you're raising life <laughs> and at the same time dealing with your own like existential dilemma, I feel like that question can be really hard to even like attempt to answer, you know? And then given like the state of the world that we're living in right now, it's like, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the point is to continuously learn from our experiences or if the intention of life is to find, you know, harm, harmony in everything that you do? Is it to live free? And like, what does the live free actually mean? And then how do we create this sort of soul journey that is cohesive and like connected with this whole collective life form on earth? I, I don't, I don't know. I feel like it's too big of a question for me in my life right now. I, well, I think that's a, <laughs> it's too big a question for anyone. I think, I mean, um, I, I don't know. Yes. Some, some, some days I feel like, yes, I have, this is what it's all about. You know, I've, yeah. I've had a lovely walk in the sunshine today. Everything's wonderful. My 
my mm-hmm. wife and my daughter are happy i'm happy and then other days i'm, I'm having a day like that today I'm, I'm thinking everything is so hard it's all so hard you know and if, yes. if, there, if there was an answer you would answer it and then everything would be perfect but maybe maybe there isn't an answer maybe it is just a, an ongoing investigation if you like yes perhaps perhaps it is an ongoing investigation i like that an ongoing creation yeah no, i mean i, I think um, words like yours really help people to kind of explore a little bit. I, I've always thought that poetry and and art and and things like that are kind of like portals into um, other ways of seeing the world. You know, other dimensions of of reality, if you like. Um, Absolutely. You, you've said that your you, you said my pain has a purpose. That's one of the things that I I kind of got over and over again um, in in your writing. You know, it's it's there to teach us something like you've just said. And, you know, the, the pain that made you the odd one out is the story that connects you to a healing world. And even, I think it was Nietzsche, uh, something that he said really um, uh, resonated with, with this. He said that, you know, your vulnerabilities end up becoming your strengths. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, do you think that there is that need if we are to live a good fulfilled life we have to almost embrace our our struggles and our pain as as teachers you know even even quite fearsome teachers along the path yes absolutely absolutely I think if we're not allowing ourselves to gain wisdom from those experiences then we're probably using that situation to you know self-sabotage or self-destruct or to continue you know looking at ourselves through the lens of some self-limiting belief sometimes i think i feel like it's a bit like waking up so there there are kind of different ways you can wake up Um, one is when you become aware that you're asleep and so you kind of realize I'm asleep, it's time to wake up. And the other is is the more common way when you, you set an alarm clock and that wakes you up. And uh, sometimes mm-hmm. I think that trauma can be a bit like the alarm clock waking us up. You know, we go through a crisis or go through a very hard time. And ultimately that that kind of struggle wakes us up to, you know, the, the idea that there, there must be something more to this Um this this existence than what I'm what I'm experiencing at the moment you know and and there must be more to me perhaps than what I'm experiencing at the moment but do you think that we can find you know this kind of awakening this I mean you you even talk about how um, the wall between feeling stuck and my dream life is actually thinner than I think you know do do we need that that kick up the backside of of trauma to push us through that wall or can it be something that we discover gently? I'm not sure if it's something that we necessarily need. I mean, I think there's so much trauma in the world today. And I mean, there's so much unnecessary trauma, right? There's so much unnecessary suffering, creating so much unnecessary trauma. So I don't know that we need it, but there's a natural trauma to, you know, the cycle of life, right? Um, so whether or not we need it, I think that it is something that is there that can absolutely be the, the motivation and like the source of imagination, the source of creation for 
changing ourselves and changing our lives in, in, a, in a more positive way for sure, because it gives us a place to start from. It offers an initial perspective. Yeah. Do, do you think it's possible to even have the kind of happy, um, you know, it's like, can, can you have heaven without hell almost, you know, without, because if you didn't have hell, would you even know you're in heaven? Would it be just a mundane existence, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, that is like, that is part of the discussion, like, do you need one to have the other? And I guess my input to that would be like, well, what if we excluded as much of the unnecessary stuff as possible, then I think that it wouldn't be a 50-50, you know, pie, it would be, I think a majority of it would be more natural. Um, and it wouldn't be, we wouldn't have to look at the world like, well, someone else has to be suffering so I can be happy, yeah. you know, or that, yeah, trauma has to exist in order for us to find, you know, the ecstasy of life. And I definitely don't, I don't think it's a 50, 50 relationship. Cause I, I guess your ecstasy of life comes from your writing and your your family and the life you've you've made for yourself in in contrast to the the difficulties you've had for other people it might be science or engineering or it could be mathematics or it could be you know other ways of kind of connecting with a sense of purpose if you like do do you feel like all of these all of these unnecessary cruelties in life are just kind of obstacles to our our purpose you know the, the division between us and our our brothers and sisters around the world that are, that are kind of put in our way by national borders or political disagreements or different ideologies are just obstacles, but, you know, to stop us finding our, our purpose in a way and finding real meaning in life. I think, you know, I think like the state of the world right now would really benefit from, um, you know, healing all the inequality, um, and just a huge, you know, blanket of compassion. Um, I think we have a lot of focus on, you know, how people are doing better than us, you know, what other people have more than us. And I think switching that perspective to putting focus on all the people that have less than us. And I feel like that that is what the world needs right now. I think yeah. we have to look at those who are unnecessarily suffering um yeah with a lot of compassion there's one um one um one uh, uh, phrase that you say in in your book and it's uh, and it reminded me of a, a phrase by ram das i don't know if you know ram das the old um kind of spiritual teacher and uh he i think he died last year but he said, the best thing I can do for you is work on myself. And the best thing you can do for me is to work on yourself. And you, you say that um, the change I pray for in the world starts with healing the violence, the injustice and the oppression within myself. Do you think if we could all turn inwards, perhaps a little bit more, that would, we would find that compassion. We would kind of start to recognize that, you know, other people feel like this too sometimes. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. I think we forget sometimes like, you know, when, when we're feeling sorry for ourselves, I actually hate saying that when I think when we're feeling 
like hopeless, um, it can be hard to realize and connect with the world outside of ourselves. And it can be hard to get a perspective that, you know, there are, are even people that are suffering worse um, than us. Um, yeah, it, it's hard. It's hard to get outside of our own heads. And I mean, I, I'm thinking of this quote and it just doesn't want to come to me, but, you know, most of our suffering is mental. We have to heal our mental suffering. And that's it, isn't it? It's it we, we seem to kind of think that um, all of the suffering is caused somehow by the world around us, our external mm -hmm. state. And therefore, mm -hmm. we, we kind of almost take no responsibility for it because there's always someone or something else to blame. But actually, when we start to take ownership of our life, that's when real change starts to happen. Yes. And I, I mean, you even say it yourself, the rules of this, this game are yours. The arena is yours. But you, but you have to get up and go into the arena. You know, you have to um, play the game yourself. You can't expect anyone else to play it for you. Yes, you have to fill your own cup of worth and yeah. turn towards what you really want and remind yourself that you have that power to make decisions that are truly nourishing and empowering for your life and for how you want to how you want to feel where, where do you think that came from with you when when do you think the turning point was was it when you when you looked at all your writing and thought actually there's there's something here or was it earlier than that it was earlier than that I really knew that I wanted to write when I was um six or seven years old um, I started when I was six, I, I started scribbling lines uh, on a piece of paper and I would call it poetry and I would give them out to my family. And then I wrote my first um, book when I was seven. It was called Little Baby Boohoo. It was about a little baby who cried all the time and that baby was me. <laughs> um, and I, I started journaling at such a young age and it was it was my therapy and I didn't even know that it was my therapy. And then it just became one of my like goals. Like I just wanted to write a book one day. And then I, you know, I went to high school. I wanted to write a book one day and I, I kind of stopped writing um, because I lost the people that were my parents uh, early in life. And I, realized that I had been carrying a lot of shame and like, I didn't have any self-worth and, um, you know, I had this opportunity to go to college and I kind of self-sabotaged that whole deal, even though it was like, truly it was an act of angels because I should not have been there. Like there's, there's no way I could afford it. Like it was a truly, a true act of angels, but I studied journalism and it was still kind of deflecting my soul, what I really wanted to write about. Instead of writing about me, I was so creative in my, like, not wanting to look inside myself that I was like, okay, I'm just going to write about everyone else then, you know. Um, but still the call came and like, gosh, it, it really was like, in my late twenties where I crashed and I was having nervous breakdowns and I was having panic, panic attacks and I was having incessant migraines. And I just knew that 
I just felt like I needed to go back to my writing. I needed to start writing for myself again in order to feel better. And through that writing, I could see myself clearly, like more clearly, you know, I had to stop, you know, being a stoner every day of my life. I needed to start taking care of my body. I needed to start like, you know, making healthier um, choices. And it took all that time. And I would say, gosh, when I was like in my early, that when I was in my early thirties, that is when I found myself back to myself and knew this is where, you know, this is where the arrow turns back to me and it's time to start writing for me again. So there was almost a kind of sense of you were reclaiming um, your own kind of legacy, if you like, your, what was yours and, and taking yeah. up space again. Yes. It's Definitely funny. Like I had a conversation recently with someone and they said, you know, when we're, we're born into this life, we, we are given this space that we, we inhabit. We don't have to earn it. Yet for so many of us, it's very easy to feel like we haven't done enough or we're not worthy enough to even just, you know, speak up and have a voice and, and be ourselves. You know, we have to fulfill other people's expectations almost. So there is a, I guess, a sense of coming home to yourself when you, when you finally turn back inwards and, and deal with the things that have been troubling you, I suppose. Absolutely. I think creating a relationship with yourself so that you can be supportive of your, of yourself in every, you know, situation is like self-love or self-love and acceptance 101. It really is. And I suppose that's that's kind of the thing, isn't it? It's about you've talked about shame before, and it's about being kind of non-judgmental about who you are, and sort of saying, okay, th these are the things I've I've experienced, these are the things I've done, and I can't deal with these things while I'm still being so critical of myself and so judgmental of myself. I have to, you know, deal with that shame and, and push through it a little bit. Yes, yes, and. And like, I think shame is something, it's a trick, it's a tricky one. And it often has tendrils back to our child, you know, our childhoods. And I think shame has a lot of, you know, it's, it's voice comes through a lot of times, at least for me, the inner child, you know, and learning to me as this, you know, adult person who is the mother now to be able to, you know, mother the needs of my inner child and to be able to hear that trauma a little more clearly and objectively so that I can choose an action that is more like loving and, and empowering. I know that your time is very precious, so this seems like a perfect place to wrap up. But um, thank you so much for for your words and your wisdom and for giving us permission to try at least to get comfortable with ourselves and our relationship with ourselves. Thanks so much. That's perfect. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation between me and Tanya talking about how we can let go of those things that are holding us back, those things that are not us in order to embrace who we are and really shine with the purpose that we came here to shine with. I hope you'll 
continue to listen to the podcast. We've got some wonderful episodes coming up. Coming up soon, we've got uh, Jeff Krasno, the founder and CEO of Commune and Wanderlust. And I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Before I finish, I just want to end with these words from uh, Tanya's book, uh, the She Book, Volume 1. And uh, I hope these will uh, stay with you throughout the day. And it's simply this. When the shadows lay darkest, remember you are made of stars. All right, have a lovely day. Thank you.